de teatro por día. Serralbe lanza Sole, Serralbe's online experience. Pas un jour sans obra. Not one day without an artwork. A voir et écouter chez vous. Des œuvres plus que jamais nécessaires. Découvrir l'exposition de Susana Batul chez vous. Not one day without an artwork. Pas un jour sans obra. Les fracs à la maison. Une obra en atelier. And Pavillon releases podcast series. Omira con voz con cuarentena. Not one day without an art. Un jour sans obra. Wheels from home. Watch our curator selection. La ferme co-confinée. Not one day without an artwork. Pas un jour sans obra. Aspettando Carla Maria Maggi. Ogni giovedì un video dedicato all'artista. Lanzamos ACE Filmoteca para que tengas la cultura en tu casa. Argos TV for you. On reste ouvert. We are staying open. On prend soin de soi. Lockdown activities for art lovers. Les bureaux déconfinés. News from home. Pas un jour sans obra. Not one day without an artwork. Vous nous manquez. Live tonight at 9 p.m. on our website. Fortune en confinement. La galerie débarque chez vous. <laughs> non mais moi j'ai pas envie que la galerie débarque chez moi quoi. La baleine de chez soi. Nous restons à vos côtés. Les CND chez vous. Les jeux de pommes de chez vous. Les fracs chez vous. Pas un jour sans obra. Not one day without an artwork. Concerto du dia. Echo. O mira con bosco en quarantena. La quarantaine indisciplinaire. Notre soutien face au coronavirus. Fermeture exceptionnelle. Trouvez la pépite qui vous fera danser. Si, amigos. El monotema lo abarca todo. Pero aún nos quedan lugares, películas, músicas y libros por recomendaros. So they are using this to pray, my God. I didn't know this. I mean, there must be so many technological uses that people are just being resourceful and trying to find new ways. I knew I knew a priest from Galicia that actually is doing the sermon. I don't know the name in English, but you understand, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, via Instagram Live. I knew this, but besides <laughs> that... <laughs> Anyway, in Italy now, the churches will reopen next Monday, so all this is, uh, people will be able to go to the celebration again. And San Pietro and Vatican City is following the same procedures as the rest of the... I don't have specific news about uh, San Pietro, but uh, since, uh, I mean, the celebration are starting next week, uh, I guess in San Pietro as well. Yeah, but they <laughs> congregate like a lot of people. Like... <laughs> but you wow. know, sometimes on Jitsi have this very nice meeting. So it happened other times too? It um, it happens quite often. Huh? Another time we ended up in a conversation where um, uh, recently a new mother was like meeting her friends uh, to present uh, the newborn. <laughs> in Spain. <laughs> and you engage in conversation? I mean, you said congratulations and everything? Sometimes it happens. Sometimes you just uh, withdraw, withdraw. But sometimes it happens that you say, how oh. <laughs> What wow. I've heard that is quite odd as well is like since Sus 
are closed, Zeus falls. Like okay. Zeus, like, uh, like these animal parks in, in which ah, yeah, you... Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, some of them are offering uh, the possibility of, if you have like a very fancy Silicon Valley company uh, and you want to to make a job, etc., you can hire uh, like the, the guest appearance of a wild animal in your Zoom call. Really? So they prepare a video set and so on. Suddenly you have a monkey whatsoever there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's super. Yeah. Yeah, I guess things that we think now are a bit strange and new, it's going to take not so much time and then Buddha will come totally normalized. I mean, people are just going to try to make money out of the situation in whatever way is possible. Yeah, because this is something that because of this TV show that maybe you have heard of the um, Tiger King. No. It's a Netflix TV show about, it's a kind of soap opera of the uh, wild, like big cats, like tigers and so in states that they live in, in, in these parks. And so that is super expensive to, to feed them, basically. You, you you need a lot of meat and so uh, so if you have so they, sorry, give, say, they give real meat to the tigers and so yes I mean they they need yeah 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 I think but but the whole thing is that this is like a I don't know it's like a kind of Shakespeare battle between families theme between the people who run these different zoos is it's quite awful because actually they talk about people in very deprived areas of the states uh, with serious like struggles that they have uh, more tigers than we actually have living in the wild in the whole planet. <laughs> they live in cages. You have more tigers inside cages in states that you have in yeah, the rest of the world. But the thing is that it's super, super expensive to feed them. So now, during the lockdown, they are starving. So, yeah. So they made the radio show, um, a radio show, uh, out of in order to people pay for the. the no, not the no, no, no. It's much more complex. The the interesting thing is that they've been following this uh, person uh, who has had this, uh, who had organized this kind of private zoo. But he himself is a total character and he, ha he has generated a persona around him, that, uh, which is not the only one. What they share in common, these private zoos, is that they are very strong characters that they make, or they have almost like a guru character figure. And they're very, you know, they have very, very strong egos. But what is amazing is that you don't believe what's going on. 
Yeah, it's because crazy. The footage, because the footage that they recorded during these whole years is amazing and it's very real. And it, you just cannot believe what's going on and it's recorded and it's almost so then the distinction between fiction and reality really blurs because the whole thing is almost you think it's almost a setup for for the camera but it's not it's reality but because they live in this performative mode these characters especially this one that you just don't know you know what's real what's not so it's interesting in those regards in how uh, a tv series can blur that distinction in uh, ways and that and tiger king the thing is that the guy at the very beginning was very smart well not not only him uh, but more people because they were uh, aware of the impact of social media so he started to do cheap youtube and facebook videos then a reality uh, producer a guy that worked for television doing reality shows started to record him some problems occur that if you watch the show you will see and then the doc the documentary started to oh, sorry i have a lot of people like uh, collecting the recycling in front of me so i am distracted uh, so they started with the production of the netflix shows but now uh, there is gonna be a fiction Series uh, Nicolas Cage is gonna play a Tiger King that actually they look alike. I mean, I, I can see how Nicolas Cage can play Tiger King. Wow. Yeah, it's, so... it's super bleak, eh? it's very sad, at least for me, because you have like drug addicts and people like ex-convicts that the only way to where is this guy based matching who's uh, peter king oh, sorry, the the king the um, oof. no i don't know it was the south no i think yeah, it was yeah. the south but uh, i don't remember the place yeah so basically it's people like without without legs or attacked by a tiger so only one arm like meth addicts yeah 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 it's it's, it's super bleak yeah yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, it's crazy. No. I'm very meta. And since the lockdown, a lot of people watch the show because it's really addictive as well. Did you finish it? Martin? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. It's, uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I and mean, the level of, you know, how objective it is, is uh, in much the our times unfortunately but how surreal it is is difficult to imagine yeah and it, it is not very long it's just I don't know, seven episodes or something like that so what are you doing now these days well these days uh, it's fine we are unlocking now so progressively coming back to uh, you know, social life and public space. Uh, it feels strange uh, in a way, but uh, well, it's time to do it. Uh, I started uh, 
I started step by step uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, because I felt it was time to find, you know, ways to uh, be again in public space and try to be at ease in public space, which is really difficult to me. Uh, and also find way of being with others because otherwise we cannot quite you cannot really live in, uh, in this way. So I'm trying to overcome uh, the fear of being contagious and uh, infecting others, and at the same time, you know, taking care of others and me and myself. So it's a very different balance uh, to find, I think. Mm. Uh, you know, un unlocking down yourself. It is not that uh, easy. You have to, you know, be aware of so many things at the same time, and uh, uh, you know, control your bodily movement, which are so you can easily forget. You know, to well, maybe for us that we are from the south of <laughs> <Yeah>. Europe. <laughs> I don't see this kind of problems in UK. Yeah. But we need to find other ways to be together. Or, you know, also I think uh, um, to create, you know, um, affinity families or affinity groups where you decide to share some risk and just uh, to take yourself In, in your arms, you know, to hug again, to find contact, to find proximity, because otherwise you just go crazy. Yeah, I was uh, reading the Maria Galindo text, uh, which is, you know, I guess he's writing from another different context in Bolivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With much less infrastructure, but uh, her proposal was very radical, but to a certain extent quite logical too, of, you know, okay, let's share it, let's share it everything and lesser the virus because otherwise you know if we don't uh, get this immunity we are going to be repressed and we're going to be more exposed to the sickness uh, yeah well, yeah that text was really controversial it is really controversial uh, especially in our context uh, because uh, well it says you know uh, if death has to take us it is better that to take that it takes us uh, while we are making love rather than war and while we are you know taking ourselves in our arms and taking care of each other and finding ways to socialize uh, solidarity and in care rather than uh, you know um, death taking us uh, isolated in our flats uh, etc So it is kind of radical and controversial because, in a way, it could be also seen as a sort of um, uh, eugenetic approach where you don't take really into consideration the fragility of other people and the fact that there are, you know, less, uh, 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 maybe you, you can afford it, but, you know, there are um, a lot of disadvantaged categories that cannot. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, as, as you said, that text comes from a very specific context, well, not a very specific, but a context which is kind of completely different from ours, where, you know, the health system is even more um, 
uh, even less uh, organized and ready for uh, pandemics and where you know the lockdown measures are just not possible yeah but there is something interesting here sorry for interrupting you but the other day i read a uh, an insight that i found very interesting that nowadays uh, in a very well developed country let's say uk or states you have a percentage uh, or fatality rates of COVID-19 similar to uh, fatality rates of Ebola in Kenya in 2014. Yeah. So... That's the main point of that text in my way, because uh, what it says, first of all, is that uh, this is not the first pandemics that uh, we go through in contemporary times. What it changes is that it touches very specific body, white, Western, male and rich, uh, bodies. While the other pandemics were very far from uh, you know, the West or the global North, this one uh, developed itself at the very core in Europe, you know, first of all, and then in the US, so at the very core or uh, Western societies. And that changed everything because uh, all of a sudden they could stop everything because uh, these specific bodies were in danger. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But I, the thing that I find problematic with her text is that we take ideas such as herd immunity as liberating or radical, when actually what I find is a quite deterministic acceptance of faith and at the end, this, this utilitarian like, control of the environment understood in terms of traditional immune response, such as herd immunity, is like a kind of magical approach, almost in terms of Mars or Mars. Okay, I have to ac accept this trade-off with nature. So they are, uh, nature is taking these lives, so we can continue. No, sorry. No, 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 that's, I don't find it liberating or, em or uh, uh, emancipatory gesture. I, I find it quite deterministic, actually. Obviously, there are socio-economical determinations that make it very difficult for countries like in Latin America to take measures like, I don't know, Wuhan or Milan, you know what I mean? Yeah, but um, also I have to think that at the, at the very beginning of the pandemic, there were two kind of responses on a global level. So there was the response of uh, uh, countries like Italy or, uh, or um, you know, a kind of humanistic approach where we decided to lock down everyone and to stop everything in order to save lives. And there was, you know, the very uh, straightforward and eugenetic approach of countries like, uh, you know, the Brazil of Bolsonaro, the 
U.S. Uh, of Trump and uh, okay. that were like proposing uh, just uh, how do you say that um, immunity? Herd immunity. Yeah. Uh, so just uh, proposing to uh, continue producing, continue our lives and just don't care about the fragilities which are inside uh, of uh, uh, each society. So I, I think that roughly we can divide the, the responses in these two blocks. But it is also true that the lockdown is not really an answer for everybody. And I'm, I don't talk only about, uh, for, for each uh, I mean, uh, level of the society, and I don't talk only about countries like of the global south. You know, for example, I read the other day that in Gaza now, 90% of the population is under the threshold of poverty. 90%. Yeah, I mean, they are... Yeah, sorry. No, I guess, I guess there is so many other uh, threats that are, you know, with the lockdown, there are so many threats that also come, you know, with, you know, violence in the home. Uh, there is for so many, you know, other, you know, coming from other type of situations, it can be more lethal or it can bring other types of problems that could be, you know, if not worse, also very very uh, bad for for that society so i mean yeah i guess it really i guess it's very good to have a very wide perspective of from where we look at the pandemic yeah it is important to listen to the voice coming from other you know very different con context to, to to look at it from another perspective but also well this is not only true well, I think in Gaza there are 90 percent of people under the threshold of poverty but if I think of my borough it's really the same I mean because uh, there are you know um, it is not like there is a, nor a, a global north and a global south there are you know many different intersections also in our societies in the global north. So for example, in my borough, which is a very popular borough, um, a really Russia-like borough in the city center of Marseille, the situation is cruel. I mean, uh, uh, here, um, half of the population lived already under the threshold of poverty. And uh, uh, most of these people, uh, most of the people that live in my borough live from uh, informal kind of economy. So daily jobs, black work. Uh, and, you know, for me, it was really easy to lock down myself. And I started to lock down even before lockdown was uh, uh, in France. But, uh, you know, I live alone in a 50 meter, square meters flat and I can have uh, a connection and uh, I'm pretty clear. I think in my borough, most of the people living here, uh, well, maybe in the same flat where I live all alone, they are in six. Mm, no. Or if they don't go out to sell, uh, you know, uh, how do you say, contrabando? You know, uh, illegal smuggling, cigarettes. smuggling. Yeah, smuggling cigarettes that don't have anything to eat, you know? Yeah. So, 
you just uh, don't have any choice. Yeah. And, you know, the lockdown mm, in a way divided us in very different groups because uh, there were some bodies like mine who stay at home and quite comfortably. Uh, but there were a lot of bodies that were obliged to unlock down themselves and go to work, you know, in supermarkets, in, uh, of course, in hospitals, but uh, for cleaning, all this kind of stuff. And these bodies are often, at least in France, uh, gendered and racialized. Mm. And then you have bodies you don't just don't have any home. So, you know, all the people that don't have a home or don't have documents, so they don't have access to be all the people that are in prison. No. So they are subjected. Uh, so, well, there were people saying that uh, these uh, pandemics, like, is a kind of democratic in the sense that we are all exposed in the same way. Well, it, it, everybody can be touched. This may be true, but the pre-existing inequalities and, uh, you know, the pre-existing um, form of domination actually reproduce themselves through the pandemics. And uh, so the exposure to the to the to the virus is also determined by your social class, your race, your uh, you know gender, and uh, all of the other difference that uh, are in our uh, society. And mental and mental situation. I mean, I just got a, a phone call today at 7 a.m. from a friend. A uh, good friend from Bilbao, but he was not in a good state. I and mean, it's just like living alone. And okay, he has the privileged position of living alone, but his whole rhythm got destroyed. And uh, alcohol, called, sorry, uh, rit uh, rhythm, a sleeping ah. rhythm pattern, a sleeping pattern is destroyed. Uh, he's, you know, uh, getting problems with alcohol. So the whole thing is just like. It's, it's uh, uh, spiraling into a very bad type of, you know, situation, yeah. and this is a, a and this is a male, white, privileged person, but is also getting totally uh, fucked up. So it's like it's. I, I totally agree with you that it's. Uh, no, it's, it's not equal by any means, but at the same time, uh, and, and it's, it's showing uh, how vulnerable we, you know, people are, and, and it's amplifying it into levels that we are yet to be understood, understood, to be understood, because we don't know. And also, we, it's, it's very. I don't know if you have. Uh, the ability to follow uh, how people are feeling at home, but because it's happening at home and there is like many uh, issues that are reserved for the private sphere. And I, I don't know if people are sharing the problems that they're going through. I think it's very difficult to, I mean, I think some people are doing it, but 
it's not there is no practices observing uh, the vulnerabilities or fragilities that people are going through or, or do you know about platforms that or or, or kind of group uh, networks that are doing that in a more kind of organized way or, or just very informally well, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, the fragility and vulnerability we are experiencing is something we, we didn't think of uh, before that, because we were before that crisis. For the first time, we can, you know, see our friends or maybe the grandfathers of our friends dying, uh, waiting to have a place in a hospital. I mean, that's something that I could have never imagined in the, in the country where where I live, in the part of the world where I live. So it's kind of, you know, I can die and uh, um, neoliberalism kills. That's something that we have understood also. It can kill us. <laughs> Which is something that I do think really, um, I think I, I, I never thought in that straightforward and dark way. So we, we, we have to cope with our fragility and our vulnerability, but the only way to do it is to, you know, finding a way of being together because uh, being isolating at home is not an answer. At least for me, I, I really need to be part of a collective body. Uh, maybe it depends also, you know, the introvert uh, person and find uh, to reverse uh, this uh, situation in a way or another. But for me, the lockdown, you know, it was uh, not an idyllic period where, you know, to focus on my own interiority. I've never been able to transform this lockdown in an opportunity for introspection or in a moment where I was able to do things uh, that I didn't have the time before. To me, it was a nightmare. That's a myth. That's a myth that actually I think uh, neoliberalism and this neoliberalist idea of the management of your own time is trying to sell us. But during the quarantine, you can be very productive and you can. I mean, to me, it was like for the first time, I remember at the beginning, I, um, at the beginning, I was quite, uh, you know, uh, I was really angry because uh, of the uh, French government uh, response to the pandemics and uh, the fact that they were saying really contradictory things uh, and that when they finally uh, took a decision, they declared a war, you know. Uh, and so I was completely out of myself. And uh, but this made me determined in a way. So I was reacting with, uh, you know, we had to struggle, continue doing things. Uh, and uh, at the beginning, I was really wow. I remember uh, one day I never do it on Facebook, but I post a very long post before the lockdown uh, uh, was imposed. Calling, uh, you know, the message was stay home and organize because uh, we don't have to, you know, um, think that the pandemic is not arriving in France and that is not serious. It will be serious and the hospital will be will collapse 
in the same way as they are collapsing in Italy. Uh, but, you know, the people that will suffer most are always the same. So the most fragile, the most precarious, those who doesn't have, don't have a home, etc. So it was right, really writing a sort of program based on what I had seen happening in Italy. And it was, wow, really ready to fight. But after a week, <laughs> after a week while seeing, uh, well, as soon as the lockdown was imposed, first of all, I found uh, impossible for me to, to stick to it. While at, before I was looking down myself, you know, but that soon as it was uh, imposed and we had the police on the street, you could see the violence of French police, uh, the popular bark. To me, it was just impossible to, to cope with. Can you help us um, to understand? Because maybe you are. Uh, more familiar with what's going on nowadays with the response of yellow vest to, to this pandemic. Are they participating in the media debate or what are they talking about? Well, uh, regarding the yellow vest, I mean, here in France, there are quite a lot of struggles that are going, are going on, not only the Yellow West. Because, um, and not only in France, in France uh, on a global scale. In, um, one of the articles that I shared with, with you, uh, there was Preciado saying, you know, we were on the threshold of uh, uh, the colonial trans-feminist revolution when the virus arrived. And, um, uh, well, I want to believe it. I, I need, to, I need to, to believe it. Because um, it is true that uh, in my experience, I, I became aware of the virus on March 9, the, the day after March 8. Because before, um, I was kind of uh, really engaged in the organization of the international feminist fight here in Marseille. So I was really focused on that and uh, that was my thing, my objective. And uh, it was just the day after that I, I came back. I mean, I called my family, I called my friends and I started to have a look at the news. And so uh, I realized that the situation well, was serious in Italy and that it was coming. And the, did you march on Sunday, March 8th? No, on March 9th, because up to March 8th, I mean, it was, uh, it was this uh, huge... Uh, pro- many, many... Yeah, no, that, that was my, my question, if you had the rally, the open oh, yeah, 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 we did. Why, for example, in Italy, uh, well, they, fo- they, f- they found out uh, other form of uh, struggle. <laughs> the march, so they, they made uh, intervention in public space and also a pirate radio. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't do the march. But uh, the fact that 
you know, it, I was kind of disconnected in a way because uh, the fact that in Italy there was no march was not really affecting me and uh, the way I was participating in the march here in Marseille. Because I, I was going to say that maybe you, you already know this, that Podemos was heavily criticized precisely because of having the march on March 8th. Well, you know, after two days, I, I felt guilty for having contributed to, I almost having contributed to that, uh, uh, the, the organization of that march, because, uh, uh, well, although it was really galvanizing and it was powerful and it was, uh, I mean, amazing, then I started to think of the people I have uh, hugged on that day, uh, how many bottles of water I've shared with all the others, you know, and <laughs> I felt, uh, you know, as if I was, uh, I had contributed to transmit the virus. Yeah, that's... Yeah, sorry. No, 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 uh, that, that is crazy how we couldn't see reality coming. I mean, we couldn't understand the levels, I mean, and even do you, you had Italy as a reference, but and you know, unless we were in Wuhan or like I guess in in, in Taiwan, they knew the consequences of SARS, so they reacted super super fast and they knew that. But here in Europe, as you said, it's like we in we, we thought that we were we wouldn't we were not believing this, and I guess this has happened in so many other places, but. My hair too uh, I can't even yeah, that's that's I guess what it makes it this, uh, a very unique historical moment in the sense that even though there might have been indicators that would say this was coming, the whole society was not by any means ready for it. And even though, you know, we were we couldn't believe we couldn't believe that we were seeing the images of Wuhan on the lockdown of Wuhan. But we just didn't understand the consequences, we didn't understand that how dangerous this was. Uh, yeah, but you know, Wuhan is far away, Milan is just there, and I have so many friends there, so it's kind of unbelievable for me. Uh, I think it's a sort of collective, uh, defensive, uh, psychological battle uh, in a way. And because even in Italy, you know, my family, Although they live in a region which is uh, one of the most touched by the pandemic, and also they realized after, they didn't tell me, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to make uh, a demonstration with them, uh, you know. Even for them, it was not, uh, you know, so... And maybe, you know, the day after, I realized that uh, it was serious, so I started to... I remember a party on March 9, we went to a party, and I think, really think that being Italian was a vantage point, in a way, because uh, I remember I and um, another common friend, uh, Alessandro Bosetti, we were the only one who were really not at ease uh, in this... <laughs> party like sharing uh, kissing each other and sharing drinks and i started not to be at ease but the day before i was with uh, ten thousand people on the street uh, like uh, kissing each other and everything so <laughs> 
And wh so what do you think that happened in those days? Uh, was it you? Was it certain news that were already coming in? What what happened in those 24 hours? Yeah, that's, I just came down to earth after uh, the energy and all the enthusiasm of the march and they started to, to make some calls and to read the news so i was like ah but it was really all of the all of it all of a sudden no but and i think it was quite general in continental europe with the exception of italy that that monday and tuesday newspapers the, the reaction the impact started to to be grounded in our collective awareness of the virus. But yes, uh, well, at the beginning I was kind of determined and, uh, you know, but then uh, I also felt depressed, I think, uh, retrospectively for a while. Because I felt, uh, well, the, the passage from that mass of bodies in public space to, you know, your flat lockdown and you even pray lockdown in my case was kind of brutal. <laughs> and, uh, I felt alone. Uh, I felt that I didn't have any hope in the future anymore. And uh, you know, all these. I think it was really depressing and I was, you know, refusing work, refusing productivity, refusing to consume all these things that were uh, all of a sudden available and you felt almost anxious because you had to see all the filmography of, uh, you know, <laughs> you had to listen to all of the discography of every level that you ever seen and it was a I just need a lot of empty space to understand. That's ridiculous. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. It's so, so silly. Like, what kind of joke are they trying to... Are they trying to take the piece of us? But like, what do you mean? It's, it's, not, it's, it's not somebody else. It's that we, ourselves... That we, in order to feel that we are part of our time and that we are part of a network, in order to not be alone, you yeah, that's something share, interesting, share. yeah. That's something interesting, but at the same time... Uh, there is this kind of tendency of... Okay, since obviously Andy Warhol was right and now we are playing ourselves in this big reality show because most of us we have a podcast or a radio uh, program or a social network or an Instagram live we can share our interests um, we can try to make sense of this situation collectively and that's super positive but as well there is this general tendency of Okay. Um, out of this, what's the currency of your interests? Um, what kind of value um, you hold on your libraries? Your fake libraries that you can use in your Zoom calls, you know? It's like you see how suddenly PR teams are preparing their, themselves like, 
Let's make out of this situation something profitable. Let's make these lists. Let's make this program in this particular way. I don't know. It's like it's it's, uh, it's a catastrophe, a global pandemic that, <laughs> that we cannot understand. And suddenly you see these this super silly things of yeah, famous people singing Imagine and the Rolling Stones playing from their bedrooms. Like I was expecting like a more a different vocalist. Like a, a different kind of vocalist. Not this not this fucking joke. It's like a preciado mention. We are going to see maybe it's quite likely that if we don't find a, a vaccine, we will realize, oh fuck, I can continue living, but I need to wear face masks. I need to wear a glove. Do not touch anyone. So physical contact is gonna somehow disappear from your life. But you will. Sorry. Sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex, hugs, kiss, physical affection, like physical manifestations of love and affection, will be removed. But in a kind of clinical performance of your daily life maybe you will be able to survive because i am quite optimistic about this situation in which you use public transport always with face mask uh, you clean everything with bleach blah 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 so we will survive as a species <laughs> doing that shit it's super sad it's super sad it's like um, in order to manage like the deaths of your family in military hospitals without being able of saying goodbye, the lack of physical affection. And so you share your like, yeah, our feedback of Tiger King and so. But I think- You're doing something wrong. I think I had for so many years this feeling that, okay, we are part of reproducing this system. At this time, we have some buffer to act and to do something. We have enough conditions to basically maneuver to a certain extent, but we don't seem to have the way on how to do it. And, you know, what we is it that we could do it. But, you know, it's, and then I always had the feeling from the future, we're gonna think, why did I not de- do this or that? You know, it's like, why, you know, when the situation is much more at the limit and your buffer to maneuver is much more limited, but then you will see the urgency of having to act and you will see uh, the necessity of, okay, I will have to go here and do that because otherwise my life is going to be held. And I think this pandemic has accelerated this process. And as you were saying, you know, okay, we see that neoliberalism kills literally. And then it's like the buffer, obviously, is getting smaller and smaller. The room uh, of control, has the, uh, there's a graffiti here all around this neighborhood in Berlin, stop the virus of control. Well, yeah, certainly the control of the state is uh, becoming bigger and bigger to levels that we yet have to understand. Uh, 
But I guess, on the other hand, that level of urgency, it becomes it becomes much more visible. And as you were saying, there were already struggles going on in different parts of the world. This will accelerate it, but other ways will also uh, change the form of the struggles, right? I mean, mass demonstrations. I mean, I guess the 8th of March was a clear example. It's like, okay, is it one of the last ones? It's like, is it, is it such a break that that was the pre and after that when people could get together in a mass collective demonstration? It's not only the get together, because you have that now in Asia, you have some clubs, people clubbing with face masks, masks and so on. It's the thing that you are able to physically demonstrate affection and so on. Well, I, I, I think there are two points that you have, uh, big points, because he was, um, I mean, um, Miguel was um, mentioning this, uh, the fact that we are losing uh, our bodies and that we are losing our skin. Well, he, touch is the sense that is uh, uh, completely forbidden. And you know, in Danish, there is a word which is uh, sweet or something like that which translate as um, uh, skin uh, starvation. Oh, really? Yeah, they have a word for it. And uh, that's something I think I went through because at a certain point after I decided to uh, start locking down with uh, Loreto, I live alone. Uh, I was just, you know, uh, I wanted to hug my uh, neighbor <laughs> from the window. I mean, I, I was really in need of physical contact. Uh, and uh, and also being part of a collective body, which is something which is really important to me. So knowing that uh, I can be in this proximity and contact with the, a mass of people, that's something I really, it's really like, essential for my life, for my health, for my mental uh, uh, health, health, you see, health, and, uh, you, you know, it's really depressing to find yourself, uh, um, because, you know, the physical contact touch uh, um, increasing uh, one of the hormones that uh, make you happy. And that you produce, especially when you when you have sex uh, or when you uh, make a child. Uh, there are specific situations in your life that activate uh, that hormone. I don't remember the name, but uh, as soon as you touch uh, someone for second, uh, that hormone starts in your body. So, physical contact is not something inessential to your health. It is something essential to your health. So I think we need to find ways to have physical contact, maybe building small, you know, communities, because uh, we need to care of ourselves, and uh, contact is part of the caring, to me. It's really interesting, this, because, uh, yeah, with the exception of Preciado and few other examples, I don't, I, I don't see this, this reflection, and I see this as a clear situation. Because if we don't have a vaccine, 
we will see how we can continue living but without touching yeah. without the skin in a kind of dune-esque situation in which like maybe you have only access to physical contacting like living in mars i mean like the access to air and oxygen is via this particular uh, it's like super control access to this so the resource is touching or, or skin is like via this uh, immunoqualified uh, area that you have around your partner if you are in a relationship your fa in our family or <laughs> I mean, we can't survive without skin, and and maybe I, I think yeah, well, it is true that maybe feminine thinking is uh, the place, uh, the discursive place where this uh, importance of skin contact and emerged more because uh, there has been a, a big work. Uh, of re-evaluation of the body and of our body existence uh, in that, uh, you know, field. But I think it's something that uh, should be taken into consideration much more uh, when we think uh, about the ways we will be able to go through the pandemics and this after, you know, this after lockdown. Yeah, because it's going to create situations very 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 weird situations in, in terms of uh, okay we are adults so we have our um, our consciousness of epistemic access is mediated by, by our education etc etc but i was reading this morning this awful absolutely disgusting uh, cover of times uh, the newspaper that tabloid here in UK in which they say let them for school teachers between one and six be heroes so how on earth do you explain to a kid maybe three years old that this kid cannot touch you or kiss you or so and you have you have to keep, keep the kid away with a face mask and maybe a, this it's, it's insane it's like you cannot enforce like kind of physical detachment with a, a pre-school kid <laughs> you know here in france uh, schools uh, opened the school for the very little children these weeks uh, on monday uh, yeah yeah i saw this yeah the government told us that uh, a children, five, five years old children, can perfectly uh, apply the uh, social distancing measure, like uh, being <laughs> uh, staying at one meter and the other one from the other. But I seen some pictures which are really uh, shocking because they have like a draw, um, you know, square on the ground and each children have to stay in one of the square. Yeah, I saw a picture as well. Yeah. Insane. 
there is like one ton, I know. And this is obviously because uh, they want to reactivate the economy. So in order to have their parents as their workplace, they have to send the kids. It's not that they are like, we have to educate these kids. No, not at all. Yeah, well, um, also because all, well, the, in France, this will create another, you know, distinction, which is again determined by class, race, and, you know, because, uh, well, the vast majority of children didn't go back to school. And of course, the parents were obliged to, uh, lead their children to school are not those uh, that can afford, for example, to have a babysitter or, you know. So it creates another um, difference between children that will be exposed to the contagion and children that will not because they can afford staying at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The, uh, the other headline was uh, <laughs> and my mother they say let our teachers be heroes and <laughs> says magnificent staff across the nation are desperate to help millions of children get back to the classroom but militant unions are standing in their way to them male the male implores let our children and I guess uh, inevitably there will be a second wave very yeah in the next weeks. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, the, there must be some uh, out of this confinement. The consequences must come quite quickly, right? I think we will be able to see it in a couple of weeks. It will take time. But uh, to me, it's very difficult to find a balance also because uh, I live here in France, but in, you know, from one country to the other, the, the, the lockdown is so different. In Italy, it is very strict. So in Italy, basically, the, the, the end of the lockdown is a sort of second lockdown a bit uh, a bit less uh, strict than the lockdown because uh, you are allowed to work you can't stay at home if you cannot uh, work from your home you can uh, uh, meet some people but only if these people are part of your family, and when I see family, I mean the biological family or the people you have married. So they consider that your family is only the biological one, and next week you will be able to go to the church. So um, it is like uh, your existence, your life is reduced to work, production, to family relationship and to religion, which resembled the very beginning of, you know, capitalism, <laughs> and, uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, the reduction of your life to 
family and reproductive relationship care work, productive work and religion. I mean, we are coming back uh, to a society um, or maybe we just uh, reveal what the society, what the Italian society was already based for. But in this way, we erase all of the, you know, different way people have been imagining and building their lives. Yeah, no, this is something that I was talking with a friend that the lockdown imposes a lot of uh, measures that make even more difficult to fight against uh, uh, patriarchy ways of oppression. <laughs> like imagine having different forms of, uh, I don't know, love, relationships, like you, 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 you are inside your home, maybe with your father-in-law or your sister-in-law that you hate, <laughs> but, but it's like, and you cannot see your lover, it's, it's like, it's super... Sorry. No, no, no. Martin said it before that the work is not this safe space uh, because they presented us our flat as a, you know a shelter, but for many people it is not. I mean, uh, all the many forms of violence and uh, exploitation reproduce themselves in our home because uh, uh, you know at least. Uh, Gender violence has gone wild during this period. I don't know in your countries, but in France, uh, it has gone uh, uh, wild. And uh, reproductive and care work has become insane because schools are closed. And so you have to take care of your children, take care maybe of the elderly people. And we know that this work continues to be performed by uh, mostly by women and is not recognized as work and then you know smart work uh, it's just uh, taking all the time in the sense that it's chronophagic Everybody spent uh, hours, many more hours, working uh, from the computer than the hours that they spent uh, when they were going to their office. And I really worked that uh, when you know people will realize that it's possible to organize work from their home, they will uh, just normalize it. Yeah, 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 because then you don't have to pay rent, it's uh, much cheaper, it's much less invested and risk for the, for the, for, for the employer, I mean, that's, uh, that's depressing. And yeah, do you think, do you think, and also, you know, all these things that you can survey from remote your workers. There yeah. are applications, uh, I, I don't know a lot about them, but that you can survey that your workers are there in front of the computer working. 
And, uh, and I guess there is also another element of the private sphere totally entering the public sphere, like through all these stream concerts, but stream concerts from houses or how people. And now I guess there are so many elements that we don't know uh, the consequences. Like when you were talking about all this violence that is happening uh, in different homes. Uh, well, because of the news are taken by, you know, systematic uh, numbers of deaths and, you know, like the whole corona. It's like not being able, it's, it's making it very difficult to know what things are happening underneath and uh, what kind of uh, struggles are going on. And, uh, and because it's quite new, it's still not very well, uh, you know, organized in the sense of being able to show what's going on and also i guess people's attention you know it's like maybe they give priorities to other kind of or you know what's the health situation in my place so it's like very difficult to know what's going on in this other level of a quotidian life that is certainly dramatic uh, certainly we will see and we will see the consequences of it and we will understand them but much later but certainly it, it will manifest itself and i think people would organize uh, maybe in ways that we, we don't get anticipate um, yeah so it seems that there are so many things happening at once and so many changes that we are not able to register and to you know put into place it's just like this uh, tsunami uh, type of situation that we are not able to cope with it and, and the consequences of it and like we know what is happening underneath in those kind of uh, not visible places but you know as you say the struggles are going on and there are all these forms of solidarity and care which are not based on institutions that are uh, born during the crisis of the just continued uh, movement that were there before of the crisis and uh, I don't think we have any alternative in a way. We need to believe it, huh? Because uh, if we just focus on the fact that uh, the measure, the responses to the pandemic are control over our bodies and our movements, uh, uh, going back to productivity in a you know, very straightforward and crazy ways, and uh, isolating uh, everyone uh, and making also laws out of control because of the situation. You know, in France now, for example, it is allowed. It is uh, allowed that you work 60 hours per week. This was one of the measures that were proposed by the French government to respond to the emergency situation. Did they uh, provide any justification for this? But it was like nurses, like it for, you know, for kind of, is it for the sanitary to be able to legally perform their work? Yeah, them and other essential uh, work during the pandemics. But there is no date uh, where this measure will uh, hand. And this is a 
I mean, uh, uh, you were mentioning the movement that were before in France, including the Yellow Vest. Uh, for the Yellow Vest, at the beginning, I was a bit skeptical, but uh, in fact, they soon uh, became our allies, because especially in um, in, uh, in Marseille, before the arrival of the Yellow Vest came out just after a few weeks of the beginning of very local struggles here in the city because we were struggling uh, against uh, uh, the, a building site in the biggest square in the city center of Marseille. So it was a struggle against, uh, let's say, gentrification, to make it short. And at the same time, I don't know if you remember that uh, it, it was quite covered also abroad, also by The Guardian, etc., that there were two buildings that fell down and there were seven people dying in the city center of Marseille. Yeah. And it was in my barrack, 200 meters from uh, where I live. So as a response to this, there was a, a movement that formed for, you know, um, the right to housing. And these two movements converged. So we were kind of uh, really already on the street uh, a lot. And then the yellow vest arrived. And at the beginning, I was a bit, uh, you know, skeptical, but then, uh, in fact, everything, everything mixed. And they have been so strong and uh, they've been on the street for more than one year, once or more per week. But then there was also this very big strike movement that started on December 5, and uh, what was one of the longest strikes in history and there everything was really mixed because you could hear for example the song of the yellow vest which was sung by students by researchers and uh, and this strike was against the reform of the uh, how do you say that the pension the, the pension pension reform yeah, or? Yeah, yeah but in fact it was uh against the system, you know, feminist movement joined, uh, the um, uh, people struggling for against climate change joined, and there was really a passing of words from one month to the other. That was really powerful. Uh, all this movement continues to exist. Uh, but why have I started to say all this? I was, uh, I was saying, the, I was talking about the struggle that continues, yeah, like the continuity of the struggles and um, yeah, um, I lost myself. But anyway, yes, maybe I wanted to talk about uh, the fact that all these struggles continue. Yeah, and they continue on a global basis. I have more information just on the feminist movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for me, for example, during the lockdown, it was really, really important to have this cross-border feminist manifesto that, that was written collectively uh, because it took in consideration the pandemics and it gave uh, uh, a trans-feminist the colonial reply to uh, the situation we were living. And this created a lot of connection around the world because I think the manifesto was first proposed by... Uh, um, the feminist movement in South uh, America, 
in Chile and then other countries, but was soon shared and discussed and written together with the feminist movement, uh, well, from Italy, Nomadimeno, Spain, uh, Belgium, France, etc. And um, and that manifesto was shared also among different collectives, feminist collectives in France that uh, share uh, some um, common grounds, basically non-abolitionism, so a, to- a positive attitude towards sex work, which is something that always divides uh, feminisms. Uh, and, well, non-abolitionism, uh, intersectionality, and, uh, um, well, also, I don't know if it is shared, but anti-capitalism in a way was is also a, a base. So we started to make uh, um, national meetings in order to discuss the manifesto and uh, to imagine act, action on a local level for May Day. And this for me was really important because for the first time I had the impression that we could act and that we could continue to be together and to establish uh, bridges between different countries and between different uh, cities and uh, continue to be active and not just uh, victims of the situation. So it changed completely my perspective of everything because um, um, it gave me the sense that something was possible and uh, so for example uh, well each collective uh, on a local scale decided which action they wanted to do for may first and um, you know for us it was uh, a mixture of online things and also some things in the public space where i remember uh, for me, it was really, really important because, for example, uh, I wanted to make a big banner and put it in the, on a bridge uh, here in the city center. And um, uh, with some people of my collective, we decided to do it. And this became, you know, the objective of my life. Yeah. <laughs> because also during the lockdown, everything becomes so huge I mean, so important. Mm. Uh, and this gave me the sense that we could, you know, meet uh, in my flat, just in three, with masks, and do this banner. Which, one week before, was something that for me it was completely impossible. It was unthinkable. But the, the, the collective gave you the strength and the... Yeah. Just, that's, that's really, really amazing. And, and we did it. So, I mean... Uh, it was possible to be in my flat in Sweden and work for hours on this banner by maintaining, uh, you know, one meter of distance one from the other and talk and keep a mask on, on ourselves. And only a week before, this was something so remote and impossible. And one week after we were doing it, and the day after we were putting it uh, on this bridge. Mm. So, you know, doing things together yeah. really enlarge the, 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 the range of possibilities you have and make things possible. So I think I need, we need to go, um, to me, it, 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 well, it was really important on a personal level. 
And then at the same time, uh, um, another thing that was um, possible and that helped me to have a better relationship with public space was the fact that uh, um, I mentioned the fact that the building, I mean, uh, this collective that formed in my board, they started to do a collection and distribution of food. So we all started to work uh, all. Um, I reconnected with this uh, collective that I had abandoned uh, some months ago, and I started to work in this. Uh, and just the fact of being for hours in public space uh, collecting food, you know, it's like when you uh, put yourself in a situation that you feel as dangerous for a while, your fear lessens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was another thing that was important to me. So I think we, we, we need really to nourish or these uh, struggles and forms of solidarity, grassroots solidarity that are emerging. Because that's the only way we can uh, find the both personal and political uh, uh, way out of uh, these. Yeah. It's just, you know, my provisional and personal and uh, and something that helped me a lot. Yeah, that makes total sense. And uh, so can you maybe st tell us a bit more about your collective, the collective that you have, uh, that you mentioned, that you did together? The... Ah, uh, well, I have, uh, I'm part of a collective which is called Marseille Feminista, which is a feminist collective uh, that formed the... Uh, Uh, one year and a half ago and now you know we are building this uh, wider national network among the feminists to share the same uh, vision uh, in France and uh, the other collective is a collective that formed as I said as a response to the um, to the tragedy that happened in our world So we, we, were, we were just, you know, neighbors and we started to meet and, to, you know, uh, try to find uh, solutions in that emergencies and way to help each other because there were so many people who lost their home as a result of that uh, uh, tragedy because the, the major here started the, a politics of... Um, How do you say the logement? Uh, well, basically, they were like, um, since a huge part of the um, housing um, estate here in Marseille is really in bad condition, all of a sudden they realized it. And so they started also to um, kick out people from their flats and put them in uh, hotels. And it was huge. I mean, there were like 3,000 people uh, in that situation. So it was like organizing a way to deal with this, helping people to, you know, make the bureaucratic procedure, have legal assistance, etc. 
And I was at the beginning quite active in that collective. At a certain point, I gave up because it was really difficult as a collective. It, it is the most heterogeneous collectives in terms of uh, uh, composition, uh, you know, political horizons. Uh, uh, because there are people coming from every, you know, since it is very based on uh, our barrack, there are people coming from all sorts of lives and uh, so... But, you know, it, it is something I'm attached to, so since now there was this uh, network in order to collect and distribute food, I wanted to, to come back. So, but there are so many networks like these uh, in, in my cities. So it's a very politicized city. It's like a... It, oh. I think it used to be. When I arrived here, I found it, I found it very difficult to... But since a couple of years, yes, it is. And people are organizing over very local level. I mean, borrowed by borrowed. So in this situation, there were already several collectives that were already functioning and they started to, uh, you know, do food collection and food distribution on a very local base. And uh, also to do uh, marod, so like cooking at home. There were self-organized networks of people cooking at home and then uh, other people going and take this food and uh, delivering the food to um, some papier, uh, people without documents, or homeless people. And it was really quick. It started like, uh, I think, the same day of the lockdown. Wow. It was really, really quick. While the response of the institution, of course, arrived much, much later. And it was completely inadequate. So all these networks of solidarity which are building in this situation, for example, in Italy, there are the Brigate, Brigate, Brigate di Solidarietà Popolare. Uh, I think it's like Brigade of uh, Popular uh, Solidarity in English, something like that. And they started also in France now. I don't know if in, in your country there is something... Uh, <clears throat> it's a very uh, here in UK. The examples you have are, as you said, divided by boroughs, and you have different initiatives. But um, I would say it's not characterized for uh, sharing, as you said, a very common political horizon. It's more kind of there are certain needs to be covered that obviously. Uh, the government is not covering because uh, here the situation in the UK is pretty awful in that regard. So yeah, if your neighbor is very old and needs help with the deliveries or with the prescriptions or stuff like that, so yeah, they were printing uh, flyers, and organizing uh, WhatsApp and Facebook groups. Mm -hmm basic assistance without a proper routing activism, as far as I know. And from themes that I am hearing from you or, for example, 
friend that is living in Brussels and she was mentioning similar examples of yeah, collecting food, anarchist kitchens providing food to the um, um, migrants that are being temporarily uh, hosted by squads and stuff that here as far as I know to find even for example the yesterday I was reading uh, a little discussion that is going on between different rent unions that they, that they do not agree in terms of uh, this movement that tries to gain power regarding basically freezing the payment of rents to certain landlords because yeah uh, rents are super expensive particularly in london and bristol so different unions having different opinions regarding how to proceed in these cases because for example uh, things that i know from spain that private landlords, a lot of them, uh, they are having informal agreements with their tenants just for pure solidarity. Like, I mean, if you cannot pay because you have no job, suddenly you have no income, uh, you can pay me whatever you can if you have some savings, otherwise we will see kind of basic solidarity but that it's really both at least from my family and close friends that they are having similar situations both as landlords and as tenants they are seeing this but here in this regard is the wild west no you have to pay package <laughs> it's like and I am not sure about the the legal situation. I think some kind of anti-eviction law was passed during the lockdown, but I am not. I am not sure. I think Portugal is the only country in Europe where the rent were uh, cancelled for the social housing. Yeah, Portugal is doing very well. Very yeah. well. It's a very small country in terms of number, but they are doing fantastic. It's incredible. Yes, in uh, all this movement for rent strikes, but here in France it didn't really take... Um, no, and here they are facing the same kind of problems and it's quite frustrating because some of these unions, they have a lot of uh, experience and they did great things. As far as I know, during the economical crisis of 2008, but uh, yeah, I mean, so it's like uh, I, I do not understand why it's not because uh, it's, 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 it's horrible. The situation is horrible because rents are so high and you have no, um, no actual benefits inverted commas to survive or navigate this situation is like or you are very wealthy 
or you have some savings or or you are fucked. You have to apply for universal credit or make that yeah. pray to the Virgin Mary. That's what they do in Italy. Yeah, I mean. Um, anyway, I think it was kind of fantastic uh, the way people were able to organize uh, solidarity and demonstrating their they are able to organize mutual aids in a much more efficient way than uh, institutions. And this is a real strength. Yeah, uh, there are, I mean, I've heard of cases that are quite heartbreaking, like people that maybe is listening to this, so I won't mention their names, but for example, like migrants that in Spain, they are having difficulties. So otherwise they will be basically living in the street as homeless. So now they are living in houses of friends, like, but people that they are not their friends. Eh? You know what I mean? But, but you know that this, if you don't help them, they will be homeless tomorrow, you know, and you know them because maybe they they go to the same bar as you go to drink some wine after work, and they mention that they were losing their rooms and so. So very basic kind of quick action, <laughs> humanitarian action that is like yeah. But, you know, this is what what I want to say that uh, this is not something uh, individual. That, but that if all these form of mutual aid and solidarity continue to be nourished, and it's a big uh, statement because. Uh, uh, I mean, we underline the importance of this because uh, um, if institutions demonstrate that they are not able to care for us, but that if we are together and we spend a little bit of our time, because in, well, for example, in my case, I'm not the one that I'm just little ants, you know, just people that help. One day per week, you know. But if we are able to organize these networks of solidarity outside from uh, the institution, it is a big political statement. But that's an interesting point because if you are able to do the job of uh, what the institution should be, and you are self-sufficient and. Uh, and you don't demand something, like you don't go uh, a bit farther in the way of uh, broadening up, you know, the struggle. If, if you are simply doing their job, they're gonna simply, you, you, you think it will be a statement or does it need to have some kind of antagonistic relation to the established institutions in order to, be um, 
a political statement? It will. It will. It, it will anyway, because uh, um, I mean, for example, here we have a, a very, I have a very precise example of how institutions are using or trying to use the uh, autonomous network uh, that already exists in order to build their. Because, for example, after one month after this, the start of the lockdown, the major decided to use that maybe the, the school were closed and maybe the uh, kitchen in the school could be used to make food for people who are, don't have anything to eat now. Because, I mean, there will be more people who will lose their home that will not arrive at the end of the month. Uh, we will go through a very huge, massive crisis we have never known before. That's what I think. Maybe I'm not, uh, I'm pessimistic, but that's what I think. And for example, the major decided to cook uh, this food. So they started one month after where there were already, you know, so many organizations active uh, on, uh, uh, on the different, in the different barracks. But then they didn't know how to distribute this food. So they called the same collective. They fight against in order to ask them to help. And it was a big uh, you know, discussion because uh, there were people that were refusing to help the institution or to, you know, contribute um, uh, um, themselves to the institutions. And other would just on a more practical and less ideological way, they didn't want to, I mean, they didn't want this food go to waste. So they have uh, a finally, for example, the collective where I, where I collaborated, they have decided to distribute the food produced by the uh, middle the, you know, the town of old. Uh, and it's a big work because, you know, you have to call these people and say, you know, this evening you will have uh, a delivery that they have to have. Uh, and badges. Uh, and they reside finally meat balls, non-halal. Yeah. So 80% of the people, Motherfuckers. they don't eat uh, halal, uh, they, they only eat halal uh, meat. So basically, <laughs> uh, all this food was completely useful for the majority of the people that were in contact with the collective. I mean, it was... Um, This reminds me uh, that the other day I heard that in the in the 70s the Black Panthers in Detroit used to have an urban allotment. This notion that nowadays we understand as a very hipster thing to do to have your little garden with vegetables in the city, but basically to produce vegetables for very poor people in Detroit. So to have collective kitchens and so uh, fed by these urban allotments. And yeah, homes, and homeschooling also, they were doing homeschooling, so it's like, it's interesting to see how these uh, social struggles from the past yeah. were already anticipating what we... Yeah. But, this, uh, but uh, there is something that uh, scares me from this, that it's then, this situation of a very... Uh, detached 
and also of government that I see here in the UK. If you organize what you are doing, the notions of uh, charity institutions are so internalized within the liberal state that they don't see the need of creating strong, robust, Uh, social structure. When we hear here from the aid that artists or self-employed people is receiving in the Netherlands or Germany, for us, is like a techno-utopian communism that will arrive in the year uh, 3000. You know, because it's but, like... But here it had a very practical function because the idea was that, okay, these people, these, you know, small freelancers or whatever, they're going to have the money and they're going to put it in circulation. You know, Absolutely. So, they need, so it's, a, it's a kind of practical way to keep the community going because if they will give it to, you know, like, you know, like they did... Previous crisis, which because when the banks, the economy will not be moving, so there was a this necessity of having the, the economy not dying because I mean, it will collapse. You know, so many people not being able to pay rent and not being able to eat. And what happened to that movement in Palermo of people who were going to supermarkets and just getting the food? Uh, ah, yes, I don't know how it ended up. I don't know. Uh, well, I, I had read uh, at the time of this uh, about this, but uh, I haven't had news recently. Yeah, but it's more like donation, it's not really tap. Yeah. It's more like uh, donation or people going uh, uh, to the supermarket to ask all the unsold uh, things at the end of the day in order to redistribute them. So it's not really as it was, uh, I mean, it's not as wild as it was in, uh, in Palermo as far as I know. In a way, I know that all this can be useful also for the for the institution, you know, responsabilizes them. But uh, the idea is that uh, I think you try to organize uh, solidarity now because uh, because it is needed because we are in emergency. But then you have to transform this in a political statement. And I think that all this form of autonomous organization are really a nightmare for the institutions and the state. If you demonstrate that you are able to do it by yourself, or that they need it in order to do it, they need you in order to do it, that's kind of strong. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I have the impression that it's uh, effective. I mean, it is effective, much more effective than, than anything else. The problem is that 
there is this that um, there is this problem that sometimes uh, we cannot help, we cannot provide aid, and we cannot provide relief. While on the contrary, the state has we empower empower the state in order to provide certain basic kind of help. Let's say shelter, mm-hmm. accommodation, basic food, and so. Uh, uh, here in UK, they are talking about the well before the pandemic. They were talking about the grand challenge. This notion that there is no point that in 2020, in a country like this, we have the, the amount of homelessness that we are facing. There is no economical material reason for having these people that every winter they are basically dying. So, yeah, maybe we can help, we can organize ourselves, and so uh, we will be super effective. But the demand in terms of organization, well, this is a problem from the left, and it's extremely old, you know? That mm. uh, uh, how do you want, or what kind of level of action you want from the central state? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, the, the very point. Yeah, it's like... Obviously, we cannot... We don't have infrastructure to create a military hospital. You know what I mean? That's the reason why we should have an army. <laughs> with, with tracks and so... You know, it's like... Arms, then. Well, it is difficult to see how the this change I think we all hope for will uh, happen uh, because I continually oscillate between this uh, sense that uh, uh, that's the only moment in our uh, we're broke that we have no choice I mean you never have this uh, clear perspective on everything again and uh, you never have this uh, you know also huge amount of people that have uh, a clear perspective on on everything so on uh, sorry on what well, on everything, on the... Oh, cons- on everything, okay, the situation, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on the consequences of the neoliberal system, of our public uh, services, uh, of the consequences of, you know, um, industrial agriculture, extractivism, uh, uh, um, intensive breeding on, uh, and the, you know, hyper-exploitation of natural resources of our life. I think these two things are so clear now. Yeah, the question is how to, I mean, many people are conscious of this, many people are not, and they try to negate it and try A to... A lot of them. And, uh, and then the question 
is how to go about it in terms of organization because if we already have in place uh, uh, a legal foundation based on liberalism and the state which is based on that legal foundation i mean i mean in the western world kind of thing which in already some countries this is already being questioned so it will need to go beyond these foundations and uh, what I, I think the relationship to the state is a crucial one and one that is going to be also uh, define the future because there is no many proposals that want to think there are struggles beyond the state. They might be against the state, but thinking beyond the state as a kind of what would be the replacement of what ways of organization at the global level will exist, you know, like there is no legal coach or legal, you know, it's like, and you, you know, I mean, and you cannot go to a natural organic way of of living, you will need to have certain types of uh, understanding of how to live together. And, uh, and for me, this is a crisis of the liberal uh, subject, but, you know, I find that uh, there's so many them fragmented notions of what it means to live collectively or what a collective subject would be that I don't know how that could come together in, a, in such a coherent way as to replace, you know, the existing, you know, decaying and falling uh, liberal uh, legal kind of framework. So, so there I see a very, you know, it, 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 you know, I think it's, there's many people that see the problems but at the ideological level, there seems to be like a uh, obstacle uh, in terms of yeah, collective organization. What kind of uh, collective forms of collective organization that can go beyond the state? But, uh, so it's very, very interesting to hear about the cross-border kind of manifesto. You know, like, I mean, there is, I think people are trying to think about this and trying to find ways of organizing, but so far, the established frameworks are so, you know, it's what they, they are on the whole, you know, from the media to uh, the military to, you know, they are based on this, uh, on this framework that I think is still going to be there because especially so many people have so much power and they make so much power and they make so much money within this framework that they're not going to give it up easily. Go ahead, Elena, please, please. No, I was saying that one, on one side, in fact, uh, neoliberalism has already gone uh, uh, beyond the nation states as a form of organization of our life uh, on both the political, economical, uh, governance uh, level. So in a way, we are already out of that paradigm. Par, par, paradigm, par, paradigm. Paradigm, yeah. <laughs> paradigm. <laughs> and um, uh, on the other, 
Neoliberalism has shown that it is disabled to rebuild itself and even in a worse uh, way after every crisis it went through. Uh, so it's, as you say, the very difficult things is to find a way of organizing, which is always the same uh, uh, difficult things. And how practically speaking, because um, in my way of thinking, I cannot, I, I think we are obliged to be utopian, we don't have any choice. Because if we think that, uh, um, you know, I went through that phase. Huh? I, I went through the phase where I was thinking, you know, anyway, we can do anything. Uh, there is no Everything would come back in an even worse form where we will have more surveillance and more control over our you know, less rights, less uh, freedom, and uh, all the inequalities will be even amplified. So, but uh, if, if you think that way, you just are paralyzed and you can't do anything. Uh, it's just too depressing. So I think uh, when you really need uh, to be talking to survive, and that utopian thinking has never been so necessary as it is uh, today. And, but I don't have any answer, of course, to how to do it. I mean, I, I continue to think about it. How, how can we do it? How can we do it? And the only way to me is just to recognize that all the forms of domination and uh, uh, exploitation are structurally linked and so we just need to make alliances, 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 and to try to build bridges among different forms of uh, struggle and and build networks of, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, how to do it practically? It's really complex because, in a way, to me, even I mean the. the um, how do we change our everyday life? We live in so, I mean, I've always be, been quite aware of all the contradictions that uh, I, I nourish and uh, I alimenting in my life and my way of living, my lifestyle, but this very moment, this contradiction becomes so huge and uh, I don't know how to overcome that. Uh, so in a way, to me, it's more easy. It is it is easier to think how to organize on a, on a you know cross border way because we have the means, the technical and the practical, uh, the, you know, the material means to do it. And it is less easy to imagine how we change our lifestyles on an everyday basis, also. Yeah, I mean, makes a lot of, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not utopia, it's just that the, the moment is uh, particularly good for, for, for this creation, creation of different networks and 
Uh, yeah, as you said, the, the example of bridges is, is, is really good. You create a bridge because you share, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's perfect. I can rephrase it better. But that's something that I don't say because I have to say that this is something that Maria Galindo told me last Friday when we had the thing of bridges. So I think it's <laughs> it was impressed in my mind. It's mm. not yeah, it's not just you eh? or Maria Galindo. It's, uh, it's been around this metaphor of the bridge. That it's not, uh, I mean, it's not super far-fetched, it's quite obvious. <laughs> but but I think it's interesting that Maria Galindo, there is uh, also somebody who is working in such a multiplicity, you know, from activism uh, to performance to radio to, you know, it, it has a, I think, I think there are many of us that we are in a, you know, like there are multiple, you know, like we are in multiple kind of frameworks and Sometimes these frameworks don't come together, and very, you know, there are very few examples like Maria Galindo. They say we well, to combine them in such a powerful and inspiring way that is uh, that it becomes an example. And because she herself is doing the bridges with her own life, that's uh, that's what I find very impressive about uh, her. But you know, like I mean. Yeah, like now I, I wanted to kind of bring the whole sound art or like kind of, you know, the, the interest that, you know, we met through these kind of uh, practices that um, that not always, you know, even uh, are some that might have a political approach. It's not always, you know, that kind of uh, the, the case. So, you know. How, how do you see these kind of bridges in relationship to cultural practices that at the moment, uh, as we were saying before, uh, they, are, they need to be reconstituted uh, because of the current conditions? And then how would they manage to kind of get a bit of sense of this politicized sense? Or how do you see this cultural uh, practice that we have been interested in will be able to respond to these necessities that we are talking about. Yeah. Well, it's uh, difficult to answer to your question. Um, I, I think I should reflect more on on this, but uh, what I see is that there was um, a sort of progressive uh, politicization also of uh, uh, sound art practice and experimental music uh, uh, practices in a way, so I I'm sure that there will be um, you know, artist or movement or collective trying to uh, respond to this. In my case, I have to say that I'm uh, probably not the, the right person because, uh, as you know, there are people like Maria Gattindo who are very good in finding a synthesis between uh, uh, personal, political, art uh, side and 
I'm always about to make a crisis and uh, see some years and quit everything. <laughs> so I, I don't feel I have the, um, the capacity, the, the tools to uh, find this uh, synthesis in a way. And I feel that I'm a bit disconnected when I work and when I um, try to organize other things. I, I, I'm not really good at finding the synthesis, so uh, from time to time I find myself in a new crisis when I say what, what am I doing, why I spend my time to write uh, you know, articles that uh, uh, a few people will read. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's crazy because that's, I guess your Twitter account functions as a synthesis. So now that you tell me that you oh you're in crisis, but like what I see is a very coherent type of post because of the you know if I get from Twitter, you know what I mean? Yeah, my digital image is more uh, coherent than me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an statement. That's a statement. But then you project, then you project, you know, like you project, and it's just like wow, Elena. It's a very coherent person. Really <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> oh, okay. That gives me a lot of uh, matter to reflect upon. The... But, uh, yeah, you know, there are many contradictions in the words we, in our words. And then, you know, also the capital has always been able to reabsorb all of the movements, all of the artistic practices that were working for social change. So it is not really a, um, an optimistic uh, legacy. Uh, <laughs> um, it is difficult to find uh, a sense of agency if you look at the history of uh, uh, let's say uh, efforts toward emancipation through artistic practices. I don't know how you, how you feel uh, as an artist uh, regarding this, but to me, you know, we are so immersed in this system and even the worst of the system as flexible workers, passionate workers that are, you know, uh, um, ready to invest ourselves and our work force uh, uh, in, uh, in uh, material conditions that doesn't really allow it to take place or um, but you know, you know, you know all this much, much better than me. And I think that during the the, the beginning of the lockdown, I came upon uh, a post on Facebook by um, a friend of mine who is also a musician, and he was writing that he had the corona, the COVID business, the COVID nineteen, sorry. Uh, and that he was sick, so he was like writing his post to describe his situation. And, and you know, there were many comments, and some of them were really nice. Some of them were like uh, suggesting to use this time to produce a new album. So I was, wow, we are really sick. Yeah, we are really fucked, my God. 
we're really sick, but our disease is not the COVID. I mean, our disease. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good title. We are very sick, but our sickness is not COVID-19. <laughs> no, the, the problem is that uh, still a lot of human beings, they think that the potential exit is an individual exit. And <laughs> um, fuck no, it's like you won't find uh, your exit via this kind of transcendental Uh, gesture of producing I mean no please we don't need more like albums uh, expressing how uh, sometimes I think of this uh, statement that uh, an Italian uh, composer I don't know if you know Giuseppe Chiari you know no. he, he was uh, an Italian artist uh, that was also kind of affiliated with Fluxus and he was going from music to visual art in a way and at a certain point he wrote a statement that was art doesn't start the revolution but as long as art existed the revolution did not exist yeah it's a good uh... oh did, did he was he released in this label as the Teresa Rampati uh, as the sound home has released it in the Uh, I think I think I think I think I know who you mean that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if uh, Soundome has released something about him. I, I can check. Is Giuseppe? Giuseppe Chiari. Yeah, but it's a it's a good it's a good point. I mean, it's the uh, maybe the type of um, subjectivity that he proposes. Is, uh, is one, especially these days, is so antithetical to a kind of communal... Uh, yeah, basically, I was trying to make sense why people are making uh, records about COVID-19. Or what, why do they do? They have this impetus to do these kind of practices. It's because that's the way they make sense of, of themselves. On the, on the reality that they need, they need, they need, because that's, you know, how they feel reassured. It's a way of like, okay, producing material that then you make it public and then you're part of a discussion and, and then you don't feel so lonely. I mean, it's a, it's a way of kind of opening up a process, but all the implications that this entail, it obviously means this kind of uh, maybe self-centered kind of perspective. Uh, a very solipistic image of the world. Yeah. But, 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 but yeah, I mean, uh, then we need to go into asking very kind of crucial questions as, you know, why does it occur and why is it that so many of us have invested so much in, uh, in making a career out of uh, the Marxist, uh, But, you know, I think it is not only a career, it is not only individual, because if I, I think if I came to be interested in all this, um, in this scene, is it because it was a scene and it was a group of people? So, I mean, going to a concert, yeah. not only going and listening to music, but it's sharing a space, which is a space of exchange, 
And it is true that this community was also kind, maybe now it's becoming bigger, but it was also kind of small and friendly and self-organized and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I guess we, yeah, we come from that, and that gave us a very rich, um, uh, yeah, the connections, human warmth, uh, interest in in scenes that were happening at the global level. I mean, it really opened it up um, uh, to many different ways of thinking and uh, and connecting. I mean, even though some people more than others, but. People were trying to make connections, as you were saying, with different aspects of uh, social life, political life, economical life, and trying to make the relate. I guess trying to think the relationship of what does it mean this practice in this. Uh, yeah, and any production of a subculture, something that leaves the margin of its very small answer, is. That kind of expressions are really rich because they are really powerful in terms of resistance and political action. You can see this with any proper subculture. Then obviously it's yeah, regurgitated and reabsorbed by capitalism and so on. But um, yeah, I see the power of, uh, well, Not, not talking about very small communities like improvised music or, or, or performance art, but any kind of subculture makes, makes your life like you have a drive, a kind of counter, uh, to counter the, yeah, the fate of being productive, being part of a family, going to work. I wonder whether this, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just trying to think whether it was one of the last in a historical moment in the sense that there was certain continuity and there was certain uh, uh, stable temporality, if you know what I mean, left more than than when what, hap what is happening now. I wonder whether young people, because maybe it happens online and it's a very different and now with this... Subcultures, you mean? Yeah, that it will have that, will, that that its nature will be quite different. That it will maybe function in a way that it doesn't. It will not have that kind of uh, uh, impact, or it will have. It will be much more different forms of subcultures that people transition into. That it doesn't have that kind of long running. It's different, it's different, but I think it exists uh, nonetheless. I mean, with urban kind of music, trap, and all these new clubs for kids and so, well, for young people, they, they are, and you have like super strong uh, feminist movements within that. I see this in Spain with the urban music community and that they listen to Latin music and so. But it's super, it's different, lost, lost the plot. I mean, I have very like, snippets from that, but it's like, I have no clue. But yeah, they are super active. Yeah, but even imagining the trap scene or, you know, um, the feminist reggaeton scene without physical contact is impossible. Because what was exciting, I've never been to a trap, even in but. I go to clubbing quite often or, you know, to this um, reggaeton uh, fear uh, evening. 
and you know physical contact and being together and inspiring and sharing our bodily liquids is part of it it's yeah, really essential no. <laughs> so no. but you know regarding the I think that you know I'm not very good to find that a synthesis and it's open you know otherwise my translation are really literal and there are you know collectives and artists that I admire that are working in less literal ways there are a lot of uh, ultra red is a classic example and they are really you know fundamental to uh, to me but you, you know, Anna Raimondo, Matteo Saladan, for example, they, I mean, you, you are able to find less literal solution than, uh, than mine. And because I also think that not being literal is important. Uh, literal is not, uh, I mean, not really. Yeah, it's clear, eh, Elena. Straightforward. Because I also think that representation, you know, um, are not only a, a, a representation of a pre-existing world, but that uh, uh, they create a vision of the world, so they uh, have effects on uh, on the world. You know, so uh, art has as the power to activate the the political imagination, and that's something that is really important uh, now because we have to nourish our uh, utopian thinking. So, as far as I'm concerned, I find myself always in this situation where it's really much more exciting to me to organize a demonstration rather than organize a gig. Mm. <laughs> you know? But uh, um, I don't want to underestimate also the role of um, art. And why why do you think that is that uh, is it because of the urgency of the moment or uh, do you feel that now there is a time where uh, the, the, the you think yeah what what is it about that is it your own personal or you think there is something in the uh, ambient that uh, the role of the struggle now is one that has chances that is important that is necessary and we should just like why is it that you get more excited by being part of a demonstration organizing it than organizing a concert i don't know i i think it's just but it's something that comes uh, back uh, regularly in my life since uh, some years and uh, I think it's because it is uh, that uh, you have the impression that uh, you pertain to a niche and that uh, maybe, yes, you're, uh, you know, contributing to some form of thinking or alimenting to some form of thinking, but it, that it, everything is, uh, you know, a bit uh, self-referential. Sometimes I feel that way, really. Uh, and that um, the situation we live in, uh, I mean, in a way we are going toward the uh, ecological catastrophe and, and now we are living it. I mean, uh, it is not something that, because 
even when I was thinking about it, I was thinking it was coming in 30 years, not uh, yeah, right no. now. And on the other side, you have this uh, uh, new form of uh, uh, authoritarian power everywhere that, that you just doubt about the sense uh, of the way you spend your time. In the sense that, you know, I put all these energies to write a text uh, that doesn't make so much sense uh, given the situation we are living. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that, I know it's not... Um, it, it's also contradictory, but that's the way I feel sometimes and uh, regularly in the last uh, in the in the last year. And if I think of the best work of art that I've seen in the during the crisis, is the do, do you remember that demonstration in Tel Aviv? Uh, I think it was at the end of April, where it was an anti-Netanyahu protest in Tel Aviv. It was kind of the, the first of this kind um, uh, that we could see where, you know, people were putting themselves in this big square mm. and they, so, yeah. they draw across uh, to... So they were not many. I think there were like 3,000, yeah. but they were taking all of the space and it was like a yeah. sort of choreography and it was something that, you know, when I saw this image, I said, wow, well, that's possible. And you yeah. take all, all of the seats, you take all of the spaces. and I guess it reminds me also to the whole El Violador de Estud, the, yeah, mm -hmm. that, the, the song that is becoming like everywhere super big and super influential. And it's also taking the public space, but it is a song, you know, it's like singing collectively. It's a... Yeah, it's, I don't know if this is a, a different form of protesting or of taking the uh, the streets collectively in ways that almost has the flash mob kind of a, it reminds maybe, but then it generates a form of sociability, a body, a social body that that is extremely powerful. But that was mind-blowing. The first time I've seen uh, Las Tesis de Violadores de Stuart, well, I was like, wow, mm -hmm. I'm speechless. And uh, I think it, it is something that really sticked in my mind. Uh, for days, I was just uh, remembering that the base, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, yeah. And how it, it, it has trouble all around the world and how it's been picked up, like... It's simple, direct, and uh, the message is so powerful, and everybody recognizes the urgency. Um, and you, what, what are you? I mean, how do you feel about? Um, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I guess yeah, I'm interested in this um, crisis. Um, of the existing, you know, yeah, what I was talking uh, previously, that how we see uh, the, the, the crisis of liberalism, but there is the only kind of response uh, that, you know, could, that 
are a threat so far come from the right, you know, and it's, it comes from a much more, you know, it's a, yeah, like a Darwinistic, social Darwinist kind of uh, perspective, which is in the jungle, then just like survival of the fittest, and, uh, and, and that's uh, extremely scary because people who have a lot of power that are invested in, yeah, like, Silicon Valley type of companies, they are into this type of mentalities. Because it's not just Darwinistic or uh, eugenics, it's, it's like seeing the new the new prophet of Jeff Bezos, no? Mm. How, <laughs> how rich he is. Uh, and now all the additional richness <laughs> that he achieved precisely because he's a a demonic platform that yeah. provides during the pandemic in the broadest sense and 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 i think and i guess what um what i'm worried or something that we've been discussing through the podcast is how losing um you know many values are up for grabs it's like you know we're losing our point of references um and not even to mention like notion of uh, of truth or of of how we can serve a common language or, or or you know what could be the basis for some kind of common understanding i think that's dissipating and it's becoming more and more blurry and then you start to question you know you're surrounded your information and maybe you know we have clear understandings of what's going on or that's you know some kind of the levels of activeness but people a lot of people and increasingly more are finding the answers in conspiracy theories and so on So, um, and, and like one um, issue that we were talking uh, in the last post podcast, it's Sonia De Jagger and Martina Roponi, is like, okay, uh, questioning, you know, or what I understood as questioning scientific research, you know, the foundations in which scientific research is based upon. Uh, You know, naturally, it's important to kind of uh, be critical about the foundations. You know, but like, if you, you know, how much do you need to go in order to lose your potential for having some kind of common understanding in which we can rely our own confidence into? So, I, I guess what I want to say is that I'm trying to understand. Um, This, on the one hand, we have existing legal um, framework and values that are collapsing. On the other hand, we have a, uh, an emerging uh, ways of believing, you know, that, you know, people are trying to find answers in very weird places. But this is because, you know, I mean, there is no coherence whatsoever of how to make sense of what's going on, you know, and that's, uh, and I, I don't know, 
if, you know, from the left is able to give answers to this lack of coherence, you know, uh, because there is also a level of fragmentation and not even that, but there is also a demand for fragmentation because of to be scared of uh, some kind of authoritarian universal uh, belief system that, you know, could um, bring people together. So, but yeah, maybe there is a way through fragmentation, in fragmentation, finding this common uh, ways of discussing in which still has this kind of critical perspective, but it doesn't fall back into dodgy conspiranoid territory. Yeah, so those kind of are the issues that I'm trying to think through. And do you think you can put, I mean, you can, uh, you can find a synthesis, uh, I mean, you can uh, insert these questions into your practice or it, it is difficult for you into, into, into your artistic practice? Uh, I, I guess I'm trying, you know, like the last thing that I did this social dissonance was just like trying performatively in a very playful, rough way, was to try to do like a micro experiment of how, you know, our self-conception is being destabilized or how you can place it and fuck around with it and like, and there's a very kind of um, example of trying to understand but I'm still understanding you know it's like it's not that I I came up with kind of some answers or, or ways forward it's just like I'm still confused and perhaps even more and now with this crisis much more so so yeah I guess I'm attempting but uh But no, it's like not being able to find a coherent synthesis by any means, or you know. But I, I see that it's, I'm I'm trying because I guess yeah. My problem with the whole experimental or improvised music scene was taking for granted certain notion of freedom, as if you already contain in yourself the potential for self-expression as. Uh, As a free individual, you know, that, you know, so I, I'm trying to question that and I'm finding myself in, 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 in questioning that to, I don't know if a radical point, but certainly not being able to buy into that. Uh, the question is like, do you go into that, what you were saying, like, is it all already lost or there is ways of thinking Uh, at least about that uh, fallacy or the problematics of that belief and kind of making it open it or like, you know, trying to share that problematic in a performative way. So that's, you know, that's as far as I am, you know, like, so it's, but it's, I don't know. Um, It's, it's not much, it's not very much, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I don't know. 
well, I think you've done a lot in order to deconstruct some of the cases of the experimental and the uh, music scene uh, regarding, you know, production, reception, distribution, and, and that's, uh, you know, a lot. Also, the idea of the cultural subject uh, that uh, find expression in the, you know, the experimental musicians and how the concert situation is built in order to lead us to listen uh, in a sort of uh, almost uh, religious way musician arriving directly to our ears without uh, any obstacle, uh, especially the obstacles that are uh, constituted by the other bodies that share the listening space uh, where you are and you have done a lot in order to deconstruct all that uh, presupposition so it's already a lot yeah and but i guess also yeah so on the one hand it, the liberal subject is collapsing but it's also accelerating i mean especially now <laughs> Yeah, because it's everybody, you know, like doing their own self-streamings, look at my room, you know, like it's, there is also, so I don't know whether, I mean, some of the foundations are cracking up, but inevitably, because there is nothing else in, repl in you know, replacing it, and all the structures are already uh, in place, and not only that, but even people want uh, attentions, you know, it's like what they want, you know, it's like... It's already it's so engraved that it is in that time of conditions it's being accelerated and I don't I don't know I don't know if this is much discussed uh, within the COVID-19 which you know the whole self-streaming the concert the making the record another record another record uh. yeah I mean there is a in the air, you know, but uh, there is no formal, no formal critique. As we were talking yesterday, uh, you and I, the role of the critique uh, is disappearing as we as we understood. <laughs> so, so there are no proper efforts to decompress or unpack what we are doing now. What I know, uh, what you know perfectly, is like that certain forms of producing experimental music are so... But what you were mentioning, no, your your whole body of work of putting into question this supposed internal freedom that they you express through playing an instrument whatsoever, that's, that's something that now feels so, so, so old-fashioned. So like, what are you talking about? Like, and now, new technologically mediated devices uh, or social networks, and so they provide different. There are different milieus like working around. I don't know. Like, you just think that, you know, the same uh, um, attitude moves just from the physical context to the online uh, space? I don't know. I, I, I think there is going 
Okay, we will see a rebound on physical experience. Whoever can afford paying for a private kind of event with a very close inner circle of people that you trust, they will pay for this kind of events. I can see how this is gonna occur. But then, yeah, obviously, if you're, I don't see the the, the confinement or the social interac interaction is not delimited by by the the, the, the the actual physical contact or habiting the same space, the same four walls. Now for good or for bad, yeah, I mean, I can see teenagers that the amount of hours that they spend, the investment, the attention, the effort, the drive, the way in which they engage with technology. I don't see a particular <clears throat> ontological prevalence in physical that kind of, you can see this with the new forms of political, like actual political activism, that it's really impactful in terms of 4chan, Reddit, the whole meme world, these things that they have a huge impact on our political landscape nowadays, mostly from people that they don't have a lot of social gathering in terms of assembly, uh, and so <clears throat> yeah, maybe I'm old but well to me that the the, the, the fact of being uh, of sharing the same uh, situation with other listeners was really fundamental to me and I think anyway we need to implement spaces for the listening um I don't know, in my way of thinking, listening is really, you know, this form of radical openness to, to the other and, and also uh, a form of porosity and... Absolutely. I was not, not questioning that. I am just saying that there is this pure, pure yeah. force, pure drive that was used with a very direct... Uh, target uh, goals I think I, I think uh, that's that's really interesting because it's um, maybe we had the potential to be you know to have this uh, openness this radical openness to the other because you know there was no uh, even though things were changing but there was no idea in the horizon that things will change so radically as in the lighter years and especially with the COVID-19 so and I you know like um, so what I want to say is okay what happens when the other is already here present in reality would then you know what often happens in infants uh, when, they, when they have to go through a radical shift or change 
they enclose themselves their habits. So they probably just eat very reduced uh, forms of food as a way to making themselves very sure in the env environment. So I wonder whether this could happen at the global level in the sense that precisely because there is this uh, other uh, thing that we cannot, we don't fully understand that is threatening us, we will, you know, our ears and our ability to listen to to the others would kind of shrink or, or hopefully, you know, is the opposite. It's like we, we, we try to see the potential in the conditions that these are bringing, uh, or I don't know, I don't know, but this makes a lot of sense. Actually, this new trend of home baking and cooking a lot during quarantine, basically what you are producing is this kind of cozy, warm feeling and taste from your upbringing, from home, from the meals that your mom prepare. Uh, and so this is something that psychologists also are talking about. It's not crazy, yes, this inward, inward movement is, is, is something that it's occurring. Yeah, for me, cooking was really important during the, because, you know, one thing that uh, you have is food. So yeah. <laughs> I was really cooking, uh, especially when I was uh, spending the weekend with Loreto, we were cooking, uh, we even made pulpo alla gallega. Oh, really? Wow, fantastic. <laughs> And where did you buy the, the octopus? Well, this was like the base of our diet. <laughs> In Marseille? Yeah. That's no, my I dream. My, my dream, if someday I am really wealthy, I would love to eat. Actually, I tried this several times when I go to Galicia now, to eat everyday octopus. That it's not, well, nowadays it's quite expensive in Galicia because you know that we almost extinct the species. So our sailors needed to fish octopus in Morocco. But yeah, like basically every dinner octopus, What, whatever <laughs> is happening, like snowing or 30 degrees, octopus always. We didn't do only octopus, but we were like eating fish, uh, you know, uh, at noon and then in the evening and yeah. then lunch again. I mean, uh, not only octopus, but we were like... Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I can do with that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it was also a form of care, you know. Uh, yeah. um, and in, at the same time, I was thinking that something that I did, that, I mean, uh, these uh, home-made uh, things for me included also home-made radio, which is something that uh, you are also doing. And it's inter it is interesting because uh, among uh, the contexts that uh, uh, allow for uh, social distancing listening practices, there is radio, which has always been a form of um, uh, listening that creates uh, also groups. And um, I don't want to say community, but, you know, uh, uh, Constellations of uh, of listeners. So I think that most of us have found themselves in the situation of making a lot, much more radio than before. Uh, well, to me, it happened really very strongly. 
I never been, uh, I, I always loved radio and especially because of this possibility that it gives you to enter people's homes and people's cars. And so you, you get there, especially when you are an FM. And, uh, or even the workplace. Mm, it's, exactly. it's, it's crazy. Mm. And, and that's something that only radio or maybe TV does in a way, you know, that you, you don't... But, uh, but imagine if you are in a factory, you cannot be a, a worker in a factory and watch TV. It's quite complex. Mm. But you have a lot of factory workers listening to radio, listening to podcasts and radio and so Well, to me, it was very an, an interesting uh, and important also on a personal level space because I was always accompanied by all of this radio that have been uh, uh, creating or created or um, amplified or, you know, um, in, this, in this lockdown situation. And um, it was really helpful. Mm. Do you have any recommendations of several, you know, either podcasts or radios that have been really inspiring? Yeah, well, for me, a home, a sort of home was uh, Pinode mm -hmm. that you also put uh, on the notes, which is a radio that actually uh, pre-exists. The, the, you know, it was founded by a collective of artists and activists, I think, in 2013. I, I really like this notion of pre-existed COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's not just a product of this. It's crazy. Uh, and, uh, and it actually broadcast in a sort of mixture mode because it, um, it is on, on streaming, but it is also on Pico uh, FM. And also on the, in, in, Fran in French, we say DAB, I think it's digital terrestrial radio, mm. both in Mulhouse and in Paris recently. So it has a mixed uh, way of broadcasting. And um, well, it has always been based on the model of uh, pirate radio and you know, amateur radio or uh, free radios. So the idea since the beginning was to Uh, be able to create a platform where people could uh, not only listen, but also to broadcast. So to become radio makers. And of course, this platform became ideal during the lockdown, the, the COVID crisis. Uh, and they have done really a great work because they, I mean, they taught, they, they, they have been uh, teaching everybody to transform their um, home into a radio studio. But reinvesting a lot, a lot of time to, uh, to uh, just give people the tools to do it at home and to do it with very simple means without very, you know, without a technical infrastructure or whatever. And, uh, I mean, if I was able to do a live show, it means that they really invested a lot of time to teach people. <laughs> <laughs> And they've been really, really great. And oh, fantastic. Yeah, it was fantastic. So um, I think as soon, even before the lockdown started, they started um, a show which is called Antivirus, 
Um, I have some cats uh, struggling uh, <laughs> outside. Uh, and the idea it was it was to create an actor of listener, but also of radio producer, of radio makers, and um, you know to, to try to continue to be together despite the fact that everybody was locked down in uh, in. Uh, in their role. So they called it a programme de déconfinement, so an un down uh, uh, programme. And uh, so there, the situation is that you not only can enter people's home, but you can also uh, become a radio emitter in a way. And and that's really something, in my opinion, it is really interesting because we some, always think we always have this rhetoric of giving voice to people or make, uh, you know, giving voice to the unheard people or making visible the invisible. But in fact, the, the issue is more giving to people the tool to make them heard, mm. you know, and the, the infrastructure to to make them heard by themselves. You, you, you don't need maybe to amplify people's voice. You need to, to give to them the infrastructure to do it, maybe. So it's it, it, no, please, please go ahead, please go ahead. No, I was just saying that that was one of the most important radio projects for me, uh, personally. Uh, this idea of... Uh, collectivizing, you know, radio production, both production and the reception. And then it really created a community of listeners because there is a chat. So when you have a show, there are people, you know, chatting and uh, you can interact with them uh, live. That's great. And, you know, there are people suggesting other things for your future program. Um, you know there have been great things uh, on that uh, on that radio, but then I was also listening to other radio in Italy. For example, there is one radio that was created by Macao in Milan, mm -hmm. which is really good. The radio Macau, and also they uh, is also virus something or another radio which was uh, created by a theater in Rome, uh, where there was. Um, several group of artists in residency, in a, in a very long-term residency, and since they found themselves locked down, they decided to put up a radio. And there are many friends uh, in this radio, so I listen to it on a regular basis. Uh, great. And I think that that's, um, yeah, talking about before the impossibility of not knowing what's happening underneath. I mean, I think this radios that you're talking about on all this documentation it's going to be uh, an extremely rich material to really understand you know with time i don't know who will have the time but like mm -hmm. i mean at least you it's documented you know it's there's forms of the documentation that traces very uh, of the moment Nadie se suicida en una comisaría Yo abortaría por si se hace policía Nadie se suicida en una comisaría Los cuerpos hablan, no flotan río arriba Nadie se suicida en una comisaría 
sacó el pasaporte, me llevó un cuarto aparte, preguntó que qué hacía, dije que era cantante, me pidió que demuestre, quería que cante, abrí grande la boca, mostrando los dientes, me exigió que respete, dijo calabozo, y en una libreta, escribía mi nombre, me dijo usted parece, prototipo de puta, sudamericana, Fiasco, oh, qué placer ver a 